Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 22. We consider the first part of this on Good Friday, and uh, we'll pick up this morning halfway through uh, verse 21 in the sermon, but we'll read the whole psalm. Uh, Psalm 22, the uh, superscription tells us that this is to the chief musician set to the tune of the deer of the dawn. There's a psalm of David who says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me and why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him, let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you descendants of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly, I will pay my vows before those who fear him, the poor shall eat And be satisfied, those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him.
even he who cannot keep himself alive. The posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. That he has done this. And then we'll read that in connection with uh, Matthew chapter 28, you recall on Friday we noted several allusions to the first part of this psalm in Matthew 27, uh, Matthew's crucifixion narrative. So we'll read now the latter portion of this psalm alongside the resurrection narrative. It's uh, been said if it is appropriate to understand verses 1 to 21 in reference to the crucifixion. It is appropriate to understand the rest of that psalm in light of the resurrection. So that's what we hope to do this morning. Reading now Matthew 28, uh, verses 1 through 20. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And they assembled with the elders and consulted together. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, uh, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. And the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe All things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. 
For those of you who were not here on Good Friday, uh, perhaps a few words of review might be helpful. First part of this psalm, we noted uh, several different places where Matthew's crucifixion account um, either quotes uh, directly or alludes to Psalm 22 and Matthew 27, 35. Uh, Matthew tells us that the soldiers casting lots for Jesus' clothing was a fulfillment of Psalm 22:18, which is a bit of a, a surprising way of putting it since Psalm 22 was simply David's poetic prayer for deliverance. But the language of fulfillment teaches us that David spoke of his suffering in such a way that looked beyond his own into the suffering of another. That's why Psalm 22 is filled with such hyperbole where David even speaks of himself as dying and being pierced. David, by the Spirit of God, spoke of his suffering in such a way that went beyond his own suffering and typified that of another, a one from his line who would fulfill this pattern. And so at points, Matthew 27 almost sounds like the reading of a script from Psalm 22, uh, the way that the chief priests unwittingly uh, quote Matthew, or Psalm 22.8 as they mock Jesus and say, he trusted in the Lord, let the Lord deliver him. Or the way that the passers-by are said to have wagged their heads at Jesus and nod to Psalm 22.7, where you see in the, the ESV that that same exact word is used. Of course, Christ taking the opening words of the psalm on his lips, signaling to us that he is the one of whom Psalm 22 spoke. That's how the author of Hebrews understands it. We uh, heard from Hebrews 2 in our, our call to worship where the author of Hebrews says that the speaker of Psalm 22 is Jesus, who is not ashamed to call us brothers, but declares God's names to his brethren in the midst of the assembly. The Christ, by quoting those words, or the author of Hebrews, by placing those words on Jesus' lips, Matthew, by showing us all of these allusions to Psalm 22, wants us to see that Christ's suffering is the fulfillment of the pattern of David's suffering in Psalm 22. Matthew and Jesus and the author of Hebrews want us to see that Jesus is the suffering son of David. That he is the king whose kingdom comes through suffering. As he says in Luke 24, on the evening of the resurrection, he must suffer these things before entering into glory. In fact, he says that that same pattern of suffering these things before entering into glory was the same pattern that was written of in the Old Testament scriptures and also in the Psalms. And so having uh, considered the suffering of these things of which Jesus speaks on Good Friday, we consider this morning the glory of the resurrected king whose cry from Psalm 22, God answers on Easter morning by raising him from the dead. Note that sudden change at verse 21 of, of Psalm 22. I invite you to, to follow along as we look at this psalm. In verse 21, it says, Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. 
But then after that line, after these 21 verses of agony and heaven's silence, the psalmist says, you have answered me. The first half of verse 21 cries out, save me from the lion's mouth and from the the horns of the wild oxen. And then in that very same verse, it says, you have answered me. Which is interesting, is is actually the same word from verse 2. Where the psalmist says, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. That word for hear is the same word for answer. We could translate and and should translate verse 2, I cry to you in the daytime, but you do not answer. God did not answer the son of David when he cried out on the cross, why have you forsaken me? But after being brought down to the dust of death, an answer comes. And that answer is the resurrection. The resurrection is God's answer to Christ's cry, where the Father says, I will not abandon my Holy One to Sheol. I will not let him be ashamed, but I will save him from the lion's mouth. By the way, is that not also a picture of resurrection? Boys and girls, when the psalmist speaks of God saving him from the lion's mouth, does that remind you of Daniel and his resurrection-like experience, being condemned to death, being put down in the pit with the lions, and then saved from the lion's mouth? That's what God does on Easter morning. His son, the son of David, who was poured out like water, pierced in his hands and feet, condemned to death, brought down even to the dust of death, it says in Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, is saved from the lion's mouth. And just as unexpected as this turn from verse 21a to verse 21b is, so it was with the resurrection. It was unexpected. The disciples did not expect this. The women who went to the grave did not expect this. But as one pastor says, God moves in an instant from an abyss of misery to an anthem of joy. From Death Valley to Mount Everest, from despair to praise, from horror to hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the movement from Matthew 27 to Matthew 28, and that is the same movement from the first part of Psalm 22 to the last. After what we heard on Good Friday from the first part of this psalm, this transition at the end of verse 21 should strike us as impossible relief out of hopeless despair. Impossible relief out of hopeless despair which is the same pattern of the gospel events in Matthew 28. Dale Ralph Davis says, In the face of the darkness of Golgotha, there shines an empty tomb and an occupied throne. The resurrection and ascension of Jesus are God's answer to the cry of his forsaken Messiah. That's what we see this morning, God's answer to Christ's cry. That answer is the resurrection. And that answer uh, we see in verses 22 through 26 declared to his brothers. And then in verses 27 to 31, we see that answer, the, the resurrection of the son of David declared to the nations. Those are our two points this morning. First, God's answer 
to Christ's cry, declared to his brothers. It says in verse 22, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. And again, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Christ is the one who speaks these words, that even as David was saved from his death-like ordeal and then declared God's name to his brothers, uh, those words ultimately from Psalm 22, verse 22, are fulfilled in Jesus. The once forsaken but now exalted Davidic king, was uh, one pastor says, when God gives that answer in verse 21, all heaven breaks loose. All heaven breaks loose in, in verses 22 to 31 and this turn from horror to hallelujah. That's the same thing we see in Matthew 28 where the good news of God's answer to Christ's cry, the good news of the resurrection that is declared to the women and declared to the disciples in Matthew 28 leads to worship. The worship of the women in verse 9 of Matthew 28. The worship of the disciples in verse 17. They're taking their cues from Psalm 22. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Israel, fear him. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted one, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, God heard That's what we see in Psalm 22, verses 23 and 24, that the Lord has not despised nor bore the affliction of the afflicted one. What Hebrews and and Matthew are telling us is that that afflicted one is Christ. The one who cried out night and day in Psalm 22, who was stripped and mocked and pierced and beaten. And cried out to his father in the midst of it, God has answered. He has not despised him, but has answered. And this is precisely the good news that is to be declared to his brothers in verse 22. Which is why it's so interesting that in Matthew chapter 28, in that uh, passage that we just read, Christ says to the women in verse 10, I want you to go and tell My brothers. He's picking up on the same language of Psalm 22. He wants the good news of God's answer to his cry, the good news of God's answer to his cry of agony and God forsakenness to be declared to his brothers. The script of Psalm 22 continues to be fulfilled. Jesus wants the good news of his death and resurrection declared to those with whom he shares a familial relation By grace, those disciples of whom he speaks in Matthew chapter 12, and he says, who are my brothers but those who are adopted by my Father in heaven and do his will? Those who are adopted by grace. God in Christ wants this good news of Jesus' death and resurrection declared to his brothers, his anxious and doubting brothers, Matthew 28, 17. As anxious and doubting brothers who need to hear this good news. As we see in Hebrews 2, he continues to declare this good news to his brothers as the worship leader of his church, leading us in song, leading us in worship, proclaiming this good news every week in the preaching of the words. 
Christ wants this good news of his death and resurrection to be declared to his brothers, to be declared to us, so that all who fear the Lord might praise him for it, so that the death and resurrection of Jesus might be the center of our worship. You know, that's what we see in Psalm 22, that it is the answer that God gives in the resurrection that is to be declared to the brothers, and that is what leads them to worship and praise him. We see in Psalm 22, verses 23 and 24, that the death and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, is to be the center of our worship. And we see that as it is, Christ's brothers might be assured in the midst of their affliction that this same pattern of God hearing the cry of his afflicted one will continue for them. Dale Ralph Davis asks, have you ever thought that your affliction, that your suffering is so gross, so unlovely and repulsive that God could not stand to touch it? Have you ever imagined to yourself in a moment of weakness that God might well despise both the affliction and the afflicted? Is this text not a balm of Gilead when we are walking in thick darkness and heavy trouble? He has not despised the affliction of the afflicted. And what is true of Christ is true also of his people. Psalm is telling us what is true of Christ is true also of you. And so Christ, the delivered one, Christ who was formerly the afflicted one, now the delivered one, passes on this testimony to you. He has not despised nor bored the affliction of the afflicted, nor has God hidden his face from him, even when it seemed like he had. But when he cried to him, he heard Christ passes on this testimony to you so that you might carry it with you into the next pit in which you find yourself. Christ wants his afflicted brothers to be encouraged. Christ wants his brothers, his adoptive brothers, to be comforted. And the means by which he comforts them is through declaring the good news of God's answer to his cry, the good news of his death and resurrection. That's why we preach this every week. Because Christ desires to have it declared to his brothers. He desires to have this good news that he was forsaken by God, feeling the full weight of divine wrath. But then the Father, pleased with his sacrifice, rose him up by the power of his spirit, giving his answer to his son's cry. He wants that good news proclaimed week after week. That's why pastors are called ministers of the gospel. Because it is the gospel we minister. In fact, Christ ministers through us, declaring it to his brothers. Because we too need to hear it. We too need to be reminded when we doubt, as the disciples did in Matthew 28, 17, of our only comfort. We need to be reminded of what God has done for us in Christ and need to be reminded of this same pattern of suffering unto glory that is promised also for us. And so Christ, as soon as he rises from the dead, his first concern is to declare this good news to us, his brothers, because he came for our sakes. And I want you to notice also, as we turn to verse 27, 
A Christ concern not only for those who are currently his brothers, but also his concern that this good news of God's answer to his cry be declared to the nations. It says in verse 27 that the ends of all the earth shall hear and remember. What are they going to be hearing and remembering? The same good news that Christ has just proclaimed to his brothers. This is the overflow of the worship of his family. They hear the good news that God has answered his, his cry. This good news is declared to his brothers. They respond in worship in verses 23 and 24, and now their praise overflows in witness to the nations, even as we see in Matthew 28. You notice how all of these, these themes in the last part of Psalm 22 are found in Matthew 28. It says here in the psalm, the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. That sounds like all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm the king who reigns over the nations. All the families of the earth shall worship. Sounds like go and make disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. There is a universal vision in Psalm 22 that the good news of the death and resurrection of the Davidic king will be proclaimed to all the earth. To the ends of the earth, verse 27 says, and that those people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, those people even from the ends of the earth who hear this good news proclaimed will turn in faith and repentance. They shall remember and turn to the Lord all the families of the nations, all the prosperous of the earth, even down to those who were dying, it says in verse 29. Which, by the way, means that the resurrection of Jesus, for those who are found in him, transforms death into a moment of victory and occasion for hope. The reason why even the dead and the dying are able to worship in hope in verse 29 is because of the resurrection of Jesus. It has turned death, which is the the very worst part of the curse, into a moment of greatest blessing so that even those who are dying might worship the Lord in confident praise. Psalm 22 envisions a time when they will all know the Lord, as Jeremiah said, from the least of them to the greatest, the the strong and the mighty, but also the weak and the dying, the Jew in verses 22 to 26, but also the Gentile in verses 27 to 31. The seed of Abraham and offspring of Jacob, verse 24, yet also the heathen nations of verse 28. Much like Psalm 72 that we heard a few weeks ago, this psalm envisions a time when the kings of nations will render their gifts, desert tribes, those from the uttermost parts of the earth will bow down before him and the dominion of the Davidic king will be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Verse 30 says, A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. That's speaking of the fact that this good news will not only be proclaimed from nation to nation, but also from generation to generation by parents who will raise their children in the nurture and admonition of Christ, by churches who will receive those children through baptism and then continue to declare to them the good news of Christ's death 
and resurrection. Never assuming this good news, but always proclaiming it. Proclaiming, verse 31, says his righteousness. That could also be translated his salvation, his deliverance. The subject that will be declared from nation to nation and from generation to generation from the end of the age, Matthew 28, 20, both to the nations and to our children is the salvation of the suffering son of David through death and resurrection. And the psalm tells us that is what grants us righteousness before God. The righteousness that will be recounted, declared to a people yet to be born, is the righteousness that comes by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is not a righteousness that comes by our own doing, our own works. But verse 31, he has done it. It is finished. Mentioned on Friday, most commentators think, and and I believe they're right, that when Christ said on the cross, it is finished, he was quoting from this last line of the psalm, he has done it. It's finished. The payment for sin has been rendered. The mission is accomplished. The Father is satisfied. It is finished. That's the good news that Christ declares to his brothers and that Christ declares to the nations. It's the same thing that Christ declares to us this morning, not only in the preaching of the word, but also in the supper. You should notice verse 26 Verse 29, where it says that the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Uh, Verse 29, the prosperous of the earth along with the dying shall eat and worship. What is this eating that David speaks of? He speaks in verse 25 of paying his vows Before those who fear God. He's talking about a votive offering, a vow that will be accompanied by a sacrifice in gratitude to God for having delivered him. And that sacrifice will then be accompanied by a meal which he shares with those of verse 26, the poor, or we could translate that the weak, the humble, the lowly who as they participate in this meal will have their hearts gladdened, the last part of verse 26 says. Not just their bodies, but their hearts. This is a spiritual meal shared by the Davidic king commemorating his death and resurrection-like experience where he is the host and those who will, uh, will participate in this meal who are called weak and poor and humble will have their hearts gladdened. Be spiritually nourished. Does that sound a little bit like what we gather to do this morning? God declares to us his answer to Christ's cry also in the bread and the cup. He declares to us the death and resurrection of his son whose body was broken and blood was poured out, but it was now raised and seated on high where he communicates his grace to us from heaven as the spirit lifts our hearts up to be nourished by his life-giving power so that our hearts might live forever. This meal 
that we look forward to sharing in in a few moments is a declaration and a celebration of what God has accomplished in the death and resurrection of his son. It is a declaration and a celebration of God's answer to Christ's cry. It is like the meal that we see in this psalm, a festive meal for the weak and the humble, for those who recognize their utter dependence on the son of David as the one in whom it is finished, the one and the only one in whom their righteousness is found. This meal instituted by the lowly one, the forsaken one, the suffering king is shared in by the lowly. A word for a weak or poor, lowly, humble in verse 26 constitutes the manner in which we come to the table. Not as those who have a righteousness of our own. Not as those who've attained a certain standard that, that we might pull up our bootstraps and, and make our way to be seated at the table. But as Calvin said, those who are fat must become lean in order that they might present themselves to God and be fed and nourished. That's what we see in these verses. Christ has come to feed the weak and weary. Christ has come as the great physician, not to those who think that they are healthy, but to those who recognize that they are sick and dying, that they are these humble, weak, and lowly ones of verse 26. Where God to quote Calvin, inspires the famished with assured and undaunted confidence in the table, lest their poverty should hinder them from coming to the banquet. But verse 29, he invites even the dead to come to the feast in order that the most despised and those who in the estimation of the world are most worthless might be encouraged and emboldened to present themselves at this holy table of the Lord. And why is it that the most worthless and despised might be able to come to this table? Because we come on account of another. Beloved, I want you to hear the good news of God's answer to Christ's cry. I want you to hear the good news of Christ's death and resurrection this morning, not only in the words of this psalm, not only in those familiar words we read from Matthew 28, but in the bread and the cup. And to come in the manner in which verse 26 and verse 29 prescribe humbly in weakness, but also with festive joy, for he has done it. God has answered the cry of his son. He has purchased our salvation. He has given us Christ's righteousness, an alien righteousness as a gift. And he invites us to share in this meal in gratitude for the once forsaken king who is now lifted up, who feeds us from his very hands. Amen. Our Father, we thank you for the suffering and death of your son who was stripped, pierced, mocked, and beaten for us, forsaken by his father for us, but then raised up in the power of the resurrection For us. 
Father, you heard his cry. You answered his prayer so that the glorious news of that answer might be declared to his brothers so that we who were far off might be brought into your family and called brothers. As it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 2, those who Christ is not ashamed to call brothers. Where in our weakness, in our sin, we might sometimes fear that he is. He says, I am not ashamed to call you brothers. Lord, we thank you that we have been brought in to your family. We thank you that we might enjoy that very near and dear relation to Christ as brothers and you as our father. And that we might be able to be assured that it is finished. Assured that his righteousness, the righteousness of the perfect Davidic king who actively kept all of your law, every one of your commands is ours by faith. Lord, we pray that this good news would go forth to the ends of the earth, that the ends of all the earth would hear and turn unto the Lord in fear, that this task which Christ gives his church in Matthew 28 would be fulfilled. That missionaries would be raised up and sent out, perhaps even from this very congregation. That your word would be translated into tongues that do not yet have it. That those who have not seen and those who have not heard would hear of this glorious answer that you have given to your son. Raising him from the dead. Lord, we pray for any here. You do not believe on Christ. You do not trust in his death and resurrection as the only means by which they might be right before you. We pray that they would hear the voice of Christ this morning declaring this good news to his brothers and would believe. And Lord, we pray that you would cause every one of us also to be strengthened in that faith even as we come to your table. Help us to be nourished and strengthened in our faith, even as in this psalm, the poor and weak ones eat and are satisfied. May our hearts be strengthened as the king even gives that blessing on his guests in the context of this festive meal and says, may your hearts live forever. Lord, we lift up our hearts to you to be nourished, strengthened, and comforted by the eating of Christ's flesh and relieved and renewed by the drinking of his blood in Jesus' name.